what is the problem that needs to be solved? Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook presented by Details Interactive. Here you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 11, and today's guest is Kabir Shahani. Kabir is the CEO of Imperity. Imperity is the leading customer data platform allowing companies like Starbucks, Nordstrom, MGM Resorts, Alaska Airlines, and Dick's Sporting Goods, to name a few, build a unified and actionable 360-degree view of the customer. With Imperity, consumer brands can finally harness the power of their customer data. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Branstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at hippodirect.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Kabir, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. So, uh, you know, we're recording uh, this in the early part of May 2020. Uh, We're going through this uh, pandemic. Uh, Before we get, you know, too deep into this, how are you and your family doing? We're doing great, Mark. I uh, appreciate you asking. Uh, my, my wife is, of course, being a saint and uh, running a little school here with our four-year-old and our two-year-old, and uh, we're fortunate that everybody's healthy and happy. Well, that's good. I'm glad to, uh, to hear that. And, you know, we'll, we'll certainly we'll uh, dive uh, into Imperity. Um, I want to start, you know, earlier on, but before we go too far, um, you know, back, um, how are uh, your clients and, and your business being impacted by COVID? Yeah, it's a great question. So certainly, um, given our focus on consumer businesses, you know, more than 80% of our customers are directly impacted in a pretty meaningful way. And, uh, you know, I think I I was a little bit surprised, candidly, uh, with how this all sort of uh, took shape. Our first response when COVID broke was, of course, uh, to ensure that, you know, the uh, safety and and health of our employees was taken care of and and secure. And and we were aware of, of all the things that we needed to do, you know, for our employee base. And of course, our priority immediately after that was our customers. And um, one thing that's been really a pleasure to, to have a chance to, to connect with our customers on is all the ways in which this is accelerating digital transformation. And uh, as I'm sure you're keenly aware of, the, the need to be able to understand your customer, the need to be able to use that data in a way that's useful in, in driving the business is, is now more than ever. And so, you know, we're, we're trying our level best to help our customers, you know, avoid um, some of the unfortunate uh, situations that I think are, are unavoidable with furloughs and, you know, the dramatic hits to, you know, the P&L. And so really leaning in with, with tools and uh, our time and our resources to, to help our customers in, in every possible way. And the, and the impact is certainly there, you know, um, I mean, to answer your question directly, we're seeing our customers, uh, you know, have significant uh, impact. Uh, but every one of them, you know, without exception is approaching it um, as an opportunity. And so the, the impact to our business has been uh, certainly manageable, fortunately, because of that. Um, and, you know, we're thrilled to be able to have 
the level of partnership with these companies where we can really work shoulder to shoulder to ensure that, you know, we're, uh, you know, bringing to life all the opportunity that, that comes from a, a crisis like this. Right. Uh, so later on in the in the show, we'll talk about some of the, the tactics and, and the kinds of examples, perhaps, of, of how the digital transformation and the work that you do um, will be helpful to retailers. I, I think it's all uh, kind of coming together nicely for a business that can bring the kind of uh, functionality that, that you can. But before we do that, let's talk um, about um, your first story. I have a, a friend who does a podcast also, and he likes to, to jump uh, on, the, on the beginning of, of his shows and talk about a, a guest's first story. Where did you mm -hmm. grow up? You know, your upbringing. Uh, talk about that for us. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of my upbringing was in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, where my parents ended up uh, about a year after immigrating to the United States. And, you know, I think in many ways, a, a really classic immigrant story. You know, my parents uh, came here, um, you know, had to start everything from scratch, uh, you know, get to know a, a literal lay of the land. And I was so blessed to, to grow up in, in a house where um, you know, we were very much uh, a family that, you know, took care of one another. Uh, and my parents, you know, had a lot of ambition and, and worked super hard to make a life uh, for themselves. You know, I, I often reflect on the fact that I don't think my life or my career would be on the, the trajectory that it's been on if it weren't for my parents, um, not just because of, you know, our, our values and, and our family, but just watching them uh, work so hard to build a life in this country. You know, I think people are often surprised when I share with them that there was a, a really big chunk of my childhood where I had both of my parents working two jobs. And so I experienced both of my parents working two jobs each um, for many years um, just to be able to afford the lifestyle that, you know, they so badly wanted for me as, as their, their only child. And, you know, that in so many ways has, you know, shaped my, as, as for many, people, um, you know, seeing how your parents show up and uh, seeing how they uh, bring their dreams to life, you know, really does shape how you spend your own time uh, and, and how you think about now with, with me having a young family, um, how I think about, you know, the environment I want my kids to grow up in. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. The uh, it's it's interesting as I, I do these podcasts and talk to people. You know that first story is is so often very different than what you know has transpired for them in their career. You know, mm -hmm. most of the folks. I don't know if it's just coincidence, but most of the folks that I've chatted with, you know, didn't come from, you know, extensive money, you know, all, you know, had to, uh, you know, their, their parents had to either work multiple jobs or both parents were working, you know, one job and uh, to find the money to put themselves through school. Uh, it, it really mm -hmm. are uh, great stories. So, yeah. and, and where did you go to college? I went to the University of Washington here in Seattle. So, you know, fortunately, you know, I think our family immigrant story is, is the one you want, which is, you know, over time, my parents, uh, you know, climbed their way to, you know, having a, a lifestyle that allowed me to experience all the things that, you know, as a young kid, you'd want to and um, have all the opportunity. My dad transferred uh, companies and uh, got a really great job in the Pacific Northwest uh, right before I started high school. And so I spent my high school years here in Seattle and uh, went to school at the University of Washington. And you studied at the University of Washington, what? I studied a, a field called informatics, um, which, you know, at the time was, was just sort of taking shape. I, I don't know how many schools today offer an informatics program, but I think uh, when I started, 
the program. Uh, I started in 2002 in that program. Uh, I think there were maybe 30 schools around the country with a dedicated informatics program. And I was really fascinated because it's where the idea of uh, how human beings use information and consume information uh, coupled with the computer science required to actually bring data to life actually came together. And so I, I was just, you know, sort of hooked on the idea of uh, not surprising probably for you to hear the idea of data and information and how people consume that uh, was something I've been, you know, fascinated with ever since. Yeah, and I asked about it because I did not did not know what uh, informatics uh, was. I, I hadn't heard of it before. And and so when you you decided to study that, did you do it with some you know specific intention? Did you know that you wanted to start a business? Did you know that there were you know people out there, companies out there that were you know dealing with was it called big data when you were going through school? Yeah, you know it wasn't called big data yet. We were probably gosh, you know, five-ish years before big data. It was this idea maybe, but I don't think it was called that. Um, and I certainly did not know I wanted to be an entrepreneur or, or start a company and still don't really think of myself that way, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to. You know, I just, I just love solving problems and I get really fascinated by um, really gnarly problems. And, and a couple of the reasons I was really attracted to the field was one, I knew I wanted to do something in technology. I'd always been you know, I was uh, in, when I was in elementary school using bulletin board services, if you remember those, um, and the idea of calling into other people's computers and getting the news or, uh, you know, playing games. I mean, it was it was really fun for me uh, just growing up and always having that fascination. And I actually didn't go down that path uh, when I started college originally. Um, I, I thought I wanted to be a physician and, and go down the, the path of being a doctor. And I actually um, shadowed a, uh, a family practice doctor and had such a great experience and learned a ton, but found that um, the problem domain, at least, you know, in, in the narrow view I was thinking about it in as a physician was kind of an end by end problem. It felt like a fixed set of issues. And, you know, at least in, at the time in family practice, it, it wasn't a ton of sort of solving new frontier problems. And um, that caused me to reflect on, you know, my, my hobby and passion around technology and and using computers. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I should pursue that as a career. And of course, this is sort of post uh, the dot-com boom. And so there was a lot of attention on the internet and on computing, uh, but it was before, you know, large scale, you know, cloud computing had really taken shape. Uh, and so there was, and there continues to, of course, in technology be, you know, undefined problems to go solve. And I found that that was really uh, something that the informatics program in that field would would allow me to to spend my time really learning and and working on. Right. So before we talk about the uh, the fact that you wanted to be a doctor, uh, you graduate you know school and you went uh, directly into consulting. I did. Yeah, I was um, recruited out of undergrad to a, a company that at the time was probably less than a thousand people, uh, and now is significantly larger. A company called Avanade. It's a Microsoft and Accenture joint venture. And, uh, you know, I, I had the opportunity to intern there when I was in college. Um, and so uh, despite doing the typical sort of college recruiting process um, and, and, you know, looking at a bunch of great companies that were, were hiring, the, the idea of familiarity and being able to work with a, a company that I had spent some time with was really appealing. And so I ended up starting my career with them. All right. And so, you, you know, you said you don't view yourself as a, an entrepreneur, but 
I think the the timeline is working and consulting, as you just described, and then starting a business. Right? Is that uh, the timing of Aperture? Yeah, I uh, I did a I did a tour of duty after consulting uh, where I worked at a startup, um, and and that was kind of I think the first thing that was kind of that was for sure where I got bit by the bug. You know, I joined a, an early stage company that had maybe five or six people when I joined, um, and you know, just watching how that process took shape and seeing how dynamic um, each day was and how the problems were different every day and uh, the opportunities uh, that, that you would have to think about and, and figure out how you were going to develop the company changed every day. And it was just so much fun and so fascinating um, that when the opportunity presented itself to start my last company, Aperture, in 2007, it was one that I, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't get out of my head. And so we jumped in and, and, and started that business, you know, really, you know, with the idea of, hey, there's a, a really set of, there's a set of really interesting problems to go solve. And kind of really at that point in my life, you know, I was probably 24 years old, really driven by the experience of it. And, you know, felt like, hey, this is something that I think it would be fun to experience. And so let's go give this a shot and sort of see how it takes shape. Um, and, and it certainly took a path. And as it has led to imperity, you know, took a path I, I certainly would not have predicted. And, you know, I, I've, you know, spoken to a lot of early stage companies and, you know, found, talked to a lot of uh, early founders in, in businesses. So what, you know, you're, you're doing your work in consulting, you know, you, you wanted to be a doctor. So there was a, a bug that you had about the, the healthcare field. You know, what, what were those problems that you thought needed to be solved that, you know, got you to start Aperture? Yeah, you know, that um, certainly uh, it was, was a, a scenario where it was clear that the business of marketing really had a lot of opportunity. Because we thought about the idea of like, hey, let's go start an enterprise software business. You know, very, 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 that's the biggest frame. <clears throat> Having not really dug into exactly what problem domain within enterprise software and exactly what industry uh, as we narrowed our view into marketing and, and we talked to folks in the field, it was, it was really clear to us that people um, did not have a sense of, hey, who is my customer? They didn't have a sense of what marketing programs were working and what was delivering value. You know, at the time, this is before this idea of multi-channel marketing. You know, email was just getting steam. And uh, we heard from several marketers, hey, it's difficult for me to reach customers across multiple channels. And so funny enough, some of those problems, I think many companies still grapple with, many of them have been solved through the run-up of, of marketing automation, which is fundamentally what that business was. Uh, but the idea of, you know, building a system that could connect data, multi-channel action, and then insight and analytics so you could figure out what's working and what's not was kind of the core set that we started with. And, and so this was in the healthcare space. That's right. Yeah, we, we had this... Um, you know, thesis that I, I think was, was partially right and partially wrong, which was, hey, let's go build really deep by industry um, rather than horizontal. And, you know, I think um, when you think about that market, there have been, you know, a number of, you know, multi-billion dollar companies or at least, you know, really large companies that got created, none of which was, was the outcome for us. Although we had some success, we didn't really deliver and create a business that um, had that sort of large scale. And I think, uh, you know, we learned a ton by going really deep into an industry. And I think we were well positioned to take that business to other industries when we decided to sell the company. And 
you know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the future would have held. I don't know, you know, how successful we would have been in those other industries. Although I like to think that we did have a lot of unique technology. The, the way the industry shaped up was those basic needs around uh, how you actually deliver messages coordinated across channel was such a big problem and was so pervasive horizontally across industry that those companies, you know, the exact targets, the Marketos, the Eloquas, those ended up being the winners in that space. Um, whereas I think we really focus deeply on the data layer and how you use data in those different channels. And in some ways, the concept was a little bit ahead of its time. And in other ways, you know, I think our execution was, was not ambitious enough to, to have emerged as one of those, those marketing automation leaders. Right. So you had an exit there and tell me, tell me about, um, you know, you, you start this business, it's kind of your baby. Were you emotionally tied to it? You know, did the emotions, you know, didn't matter because you had a, you know, a financial exit, you know, how, how does that feel? Oh, for sure. I mean, the emotional attachment is, is deep, it's real and, and it's a process. And, you know, I think when we ultimately, you know, decided we, we were in the fortunate situation where we had, a, we had a really good business and we were at a point in the development of the business, you know, I, I kind of described the company actually really had two different, uh, two different lives. You know, the first life, we actually bootstrapped the company for the first three years. Um, the company was six years start to finish. In the first three years, we bootstrapped the business and we were really just figuring things out. And we were really fortunate that we had built a highly differentiated product that delivered a lot of value. And so we had customers paying us real money that allowed us to have a small business. And the company was maybe 20, 25 people and we'd never taken a single dollar of outside money and didn't have a single dollar of debt. Uh, and we realized there was this big market that we actually could go be a, be a player in, which is when we raised venture capital. And so we ran three years as a venture backed company. And that's really where we learned sort of the machinery around like, how do we build and scale this organization beyond just being a product and how that we serve customers with that one product? How do we think about a business more holistically? And at the point at which uh, uh, IMS Health, who acquired the company, knocked on the door, you know, we were running a good business and didn't feel like, you know, oh, let's go sell. You know, we didn't run a process. We didn't run a, we didn't go, you know, sort of think about proactively about selling the company. But when that happened, I think it caused us to step back and say, okay, we've now gone down the road for six years, you know, three years in this venture back environment. Well, what does the next 10 years look like? What are the, what are the range of outcomes? What are the different trajectories that the business could, could take? Um, and what are the issues that we face today in terms of our, the development of the business? And I think it was very much an intellectual decision to say, hey, there's, there's an equal probability to us, you know, creating more value, building a bigger company as there is to actually the company seeing some challenges that would prevent us from being able to, to scale and grow the company. And so, you know, the calculus, while not perfect, is, is basically, hey, what's the upside versus downside scenario? And for all of us, too, as a pretty young team, it's, well, where are we are in our careers? And I think when we took that, that sort of layer to it and said, hey, this is an opportunity for us to put a win on the board, sort of de-risk, um, you know, the next chapter of our lives. It's something that, that we should, you know, be seriously considering. And, and, you know, our board of directors at the time was so supportive and, you know, it was very comfortable either way and basically said, hey, we think this is a, a deal worth doing. We also are completely fine to, to keep building the business if you guys want to do that. 
Um, and so we ultimately ended, ended up deciding to, to do that deal, of course. How, how did that first year go after you took uh, the venture capital money? So year four, let's say. You know, it was, I have to say, like, it was, it was really great. You know, I'm somebody who's motivated by learning and uh, the amount of learning in that first year. I mean, man, we didn't have a board meeting like before venture capitalists showed up. Right. And so just the idea of having like governance and looking at the metrics that matter, you know, at a, at a, at a high enough level, you know, it was, it was really nice to be able to shift from, you know, I, I would say, again, we were hyper-focused on product and hyper-focused on customers and sort of the, the one-to-one relationship between like building something for a customer. You can't scale that, you know, it's a, it's a good kernel, but if you can't build the mechanism around that, um, you can't build a, a long-term sustainable business. And so, you know, by, by working with, you know, the team at Madrona, who's not only back Aperture, but is, you know, the, the first investor here at Imperity um, and, you know, the other, the other investors involved, um, it really allowed us to build that muscle and, and we learned a ton, not just that first year, but, you know, throughout, you know, the coming years. Congratulations. That's uh, that's a good story. So, you know, you uh, take some time, I imagine, and then ultimately um, you found Imperity. So um, maybe give us a, a perspective. You know, one of the things I, I would say, you know, I, I hear the term, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I hear the term customer data platform yeah, and, you yeah. know, the the hair on the back of my neck, you know, stands up. Um, totally. and now, since I haven't had a haircut in quite some time, it, it, there's a little bit more hair. But, right. um, you know, what what do you believe that the, the CDP is and how do you position the service and the, 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 the capabilities that you bring to your consumer? What How do you describe it? Yeah, so uh, CDP is a complex ecosystem. And I'll start by saying it's just that. To me, it's an ecosystem. It's a set of capabilities. And I think one of the, the two, a couple of the bigger challenges that we've had in the CDP market, and I can maybe take you back to the, to the founding story in a minute uh, to bring it to life. But the, the big one of challenge one is you have a lot of companies that have pivoted into the space versus thought about the problems and sort of a first principles ideas as we describe it internally. Um, and so when, you, when you're taking a technology that's built to solve uh, a different set of problems than the ones that the customer is actually experiencing, and you have to try to shift that technology in. I think it's really it's really hard to do that and creates a ton of confusion. I think the other thing that we've learned as we've developed the business is that it's not just one thing. Um, to actually d- deliver on a, a truly customer centric model as a consumer business, um, you need more than just a customer 360 and orchestrating that data and you know, being able to do multivariate testing and sort of all the things that come with um, being able to, to work end to end with any particular, uh, in any particular consumer business and, and how you bring that to life. And so for us, we looked at the problem as, hey, what's the core issue you know, when we started the company that these large companies are facing and even you know, mid-sized uh, consumer businesses are facing in terms of being customer centric and actually, you know, delivering messaging that's personalized and relevant, uh, delivering offers that are personalized and relevant that makes sense. And it turns out that the problem, you know, wasn't the personalization engines. They were actually really good. Um, it wasn't the email tools or the orchestration tools. They were all actually quite strong. The issue was the underlying data. And there were fundamental data challenges. For example, I've got 50 different places where quote unquote customer data lives. 
but it actually doesn't all show up as customer data. It actually might look like clickstream data as an example, um, or it might look like transaction data as an example. And so step one was, how do we help these different companies transform what is fundamentally transaction data into something that looks and feels like customer data? Um, one of the other challenges in, in doing that that we realized is that you actually don't have a way to connect those data sources. So the techniques and tools being used to connect these data sources have, you know, and continue to be in many cases archaic and don't embrace the fundamental uncertainty in that data. Meaning um, there's nothing and, to stitch disparate data together and say that it's all Mark Friedman. That's exactly right. There isn't a linking key. Um, and the way, because, you know, to your question earlier about big data, because for so long, big data wasn't really a thing. And because uh, we didn't have a way, we didn't have so many channels in which we were engaging with customers and we didn't have the frequency and volume of uh, a dynamic customer landscape, uh, you could get by without being able to connect all the different versions of Mark Friedman or all of Mark Friedman's behavior, regardless of if you had the perfect linking key in all these different places. And fast forward to when we were starting to investigate the problem domain in late 2015 and, and early 2016, uh, you know, the, the problem had gotten out of hand. Um, and you had uh, leaders at consumer brands, you know, unequivocally saying we have way more data than we can actually get our arms around. You know, the number of times I heard, you know, a CMO say, I've got a bunch of data just collecting dust. Um, I've, got the, I've got it coming in, but I don't know what to do with it. I can't harness it. Um, you'd be surprised how many times I just continue to come up or maybe, maybe you no, wouldn't be. No, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I absolutely would not be. And so, so we said, hey, well, if there was a way to actually, we have to actually invent a new way to stitch customer data. Uh, we have to be able to invent a way to that's data first, traverse all of that information and generate a linking key, not look for an existing linking key and use modern techniques to do that. Um, we weren't even sure if the techniques existed. You know, I'll never forget when we raised our first round of financing when we started the company and we were so fortunate to have such enthusiastic investor support to go to, to go take this on that we raised $9 million the day we opened the company. Like nothing existed. It was, you know, a few of us and 9 million bucks and a whole bunch of problems to go solve. And I'll, I'll never forget my co-founder, who's our CTO, telling our early investors before that money wired, he said, number one, we're not sure that we're the ones to solve the problem, that, that we're going to be able to figure it out. And two, we're not even sure if the problem is solvable. Uh, and so we need to spend a bunch of time bottoming out on that. Uh, and, and it was so great to, to have that sort of culture um, where we could really have the space to go solve the problem. And I credit our success today uh, with having the opportunity to really think critically about what is the problem that needs to be solved. Um, and that led us to, of course, um, a lot of the academic research that we ended up commercializing, which we now have three patents on, awarded by the USPTO, because we could really go and build unique technology uh, to solve a problem that hadn't been solved. The devil's in the details. You've probably heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that can make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who has helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. 
What's in your experience, you know, you, you felt like there was a problem to be solved. And when you called on, on customers, do you have a sense even today that the prospects understand what problems that they have? You know, are, are they that introspective at this point or do they not even know that they have a problem? You know, they, they absolutely know they have a problem. The question is, how is it defined and, and what part of the organization? And I, and I think the part that's been really fascinating for me is there's been zero debate about the fact that, hey, we actually don't have a customer 360. We can't connect all this data. We can't use it for personalization at the rate and pace at which we want. Like there's, there's actually not debate around that. I think the questions become, well, why is that the case? And what problem do we need to go solve to unlock that value? And I think different companies are at different levels of maturity. Um, one of the really interesting artifacts of our business and how it's come to life is when I think about a lot of these large household brand name customers that we have, the person on the other side that actually said, I need to use this technology. I need to bring this into the organization. They've actually been trying to solve the technical part of the problem for a long time. Uh, and so they immediately recognize the fact that, yeah, the reason I can't do those things, the reason I can't do personalization at scale, the reason that my analytics aren't accurate is because I have all this data I can't connect and I can't trust it. And I don't know that it's, it's, it's not precise enough. Um, and so when we came in and we could describe uh, and actually demonstrate a technology that could solve the fundamental technical challenges, the aha moment is there. When, when you go in and you have these conversations, you know, I, I've, in many companies that I've worked in, there's, you know, my best friend usually is the IT guy, me being the marketing guy, uh, yep. marketing person, um, yep. but, and, and, and uh, the IT person. But at the end of the day, you know, they are looking at it from an IT perspective. I'm looking at it from a marketing perspective. Never, oftentimes it, it's not consistent. So when you're talking Correct. to these folks, are you selling into the marketing people or are you selling to the IT people or both? How does that work? Yeah, it's certainly both. And, and I think, Mark, you know, the success you've had in your career is because you have thought about those IT uh, partners as real partners in solving the problem with you. Unfortunately, that's not the case across many organizations, as you know. And so you have these organizational silos. What I've learned is it's not that way by design. It's not that way because people want it to be that way. It's because everybody has really different perspective and they see different parts of the problem manifest in different ways. And one of the most exciting things about building this business has been the opportunity to bring these teams together um, and to bring everybody. And you, you, it's amazing to me how often uh, we'll be with a customer, a prospective customer, mostly prospective customer. And they'll say, yeah, this is the first time that we've actually all talked about this. Yeah. Um, or the that first time they all, all sit in the same room at the same time. That's right. That's right. Now, that's becoming less and less common of something that I'm, I'm hearing because I think, especially now in the age of COVID, everyone's being forced to be hyper customer centric. And so there's more companies that, you know, over the last 18 months even that have launched a, you know, customer 360 or customer hub type initiative than ever before. That number just continues to grow. And so, so I, I would say that there, there's, there's, you know, significant recognition of the problem by all those different stakeholders and our job is really, we think about it in two ways. One is, you know, bring those teams together, as I talked about, but also have capability um, to enable each of those companies to, to be successful. You know, that's another, that's another big piece of it is, and, and as, you, as I think about how our business has developed and how our capabilities have developed, 
you know, we've really grown the organization to be able to not only serve that core underlying data challenge, but as you know, we've now launched capability around how we deliver insights and analytics and how we help customers orchestrate data to all those downstream tools, um, which has been another sort of part of the CDP definition that's come to life over the past couple of years as this market has taken shape. Yeah, that, that's a good segue into the question that I was going to ask you. You know, it's one thing to have technology. It's one thing to be able to stitch all the data together. That's only half the story, though, right? You yep. know, the other half yep. is uh, now that the IT guys have done what they've done and worked with you, how do I, as the marketer, take the information and actually put it into programs and, yep. and actually, you know, make it useful to drive revenue. After all, that's what this is about is to drive revenue and better service my customers. So, you yep. know, I, I've always struggled with that part of the CDP into marketing efforts and creative. How do you guys help? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. There, as you said, there's, there's two sides to it or two pieces of the puzzle. You know, one is having the right capability for each of those different parts of the business. And so, you know, when you work with Amparity, we now have capability that's really focused on what we call the quote unquote IT pro, right? And what are the, the sort of data engineering pieces versus the tooling that we are, that's available to the insights and the analytics teams that are looking at that data and making decisions with that data versus the marketing teams that are looking at those analytics and those decisions and then thinking about how I actually bring those to life in my programs and orchestrate that data. And so there's actually different technology all in the same underlying product available to each of those different teams, which is one of the ways I think we've been able to help our customers have a lot of success. The other is to your point, well, how do we think about organizational change management? How do we think about aligning all these different efforts that we've had in our business over the years and, and over the, 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 the journey we've been on to be able to, to get to this nirvana state of, of how, we, how we engage with our customers and have them actually make sense in a roadmap. And so one thing that we've done that I'm, I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to, to invest in this early was build a whole team of subject matter experts that not only work with our customers, actually develop frameworks um, for our own internal teams to use, our customers also um, um, bring to life. One example of this is something we call the journey to customer centricity, where we actually have a whole framework that we've developed um, that our team goes in and not only do our customer success managers, but these subject matter experts um, work with our prospective customers and our existing customers to roadmap out how you actually go on that journey to customer centricity based on number one, your own organizational culture and your own organizational dynamics. Uh, number two, of course, what your goals are and what's going to move the needle the fastest of what investments you've already made. Right? We don't want people to just go and you know, invest in areas where they don't need to. Um, what products do you have today that work well that you want to make sure you keep versus areas that you want to make changes? Um, and thinking about the use cases right, that, that matter and to have both you know, the tooling and the customer community that we have to, to leverage and draw on for sort of the wisdom of that group, but also having brought experts like uh, you know, the gentleman who is uh, uh, the head of data and CRM for L'Oreal Group or um, a, an incredible leader, um, a woman who led all of uh, customer experience in Alaska Airlines or uh, the SVP of data and analytics at Gap, all of which were on our team full time now, actually helping these customers. Um, you know, a gentleman who brought to life customer 360 at Best Buy, right? Just really, really great 
domain expertise and practical experience combined with what we've learned across our customer community combined with our technology and our tools makes for a really powerful approach uh, to, to helping customers actually bring this to life. That's a great story. So your CEO, how, how do you describe the role uh, that you play in your business today? Oh, man, uh, it, it changes. It changes all the time. Uh, it's probably one of the things I love about it. You know, uh, I, I always say like I was our first tester and QA uh, person, you know, certainly, you know, having to play the role of first salesperson. And, and so I think the, my job is to go and, and find the, the net new jobs that have to get done, try to do the best I can, knowing I'm not an expert in any of them, and then, you know, recruit and develop the expertise uh, to be able to go and, and be best in the world at that. And so I'm actually in the midst of one of those transitions right now, which is so exciting because we've got a phenomenal leader who's come in uh, to, to run our go-to-market across uh, marketing, sales, customer success, our partnership motion, and sort of really how we think about taking, you know, what I obviously am I'm biased, but I feel like is super unique technology, a really high quality product and really great customer execution and, and scale it out. And so our organizational sort of priorities, you know, today at uh, 150 plus people uh, is really different when, you know, I think a year ago, we were half the size. And so the, the priorities change, the, the way the places I need to spend my time change. And of course, when you can bring in partners and leaders into the company, um, that, that shifts my time to, to yet another place. And so um, I'm in the midst of kind of recasting uh, where you know, my time can be focused more on helping shape the vision in the market and spending more time market-facing than, than I've been able to over the past year. Right. And, you know, let's, we kind of come full circle here. We, we started off with, uh, you know, the, the COVID crisis, the, the work that you guys are doing, the, the customers that you have, uh, we talked about digital transformation, probably needing to be accelerated. Is there anything in particular that, you know, you guys are doing that, you know, you, when, when this all started and you saw the landscape re requiring change, is there any one or two things that stood out and you said, we're ready for this? Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a couple. You know, the first is we tried to surface and continue to surface a lot of our aggregate learning. And so uh, you visit covidtracker.imparity.com. We've actually built a set of data-driven uh, reports that are just kind of helping customers understand the trends that we're seeing based on uh, anonymous data that, that we look at and that we study, you know, constantly. Um, and so making that learning, that insight available to the market um, and the other is where we're seeing best practice. And so we've actually had a really powerful set of weekly roundtables with executives across, you know, dozens and dozens of all well-known consumer businesses having a safe space to come together um, and share ideas and talk about things that are working and that things that aren't working um, and, and harnessing the value of, of that community. And so the ability to take, you know, the community we have and the learning that, that we are we're, we're all developing together along with the fundamental capability of, you know, for example, how do you really turn up uh, owned media channels like push and email <clears throat> versus paid media um, is a great place to get efficiency right now. And it's a, it's a use case we've helped our customers on for a couple of years now since we've been in market. Um, and so now to bring that to life in a way that drives real cost savings is, has been really satisfying. Yeah, that's great. I'm a big baseball fan. Baseball is a nine inning game. 
what inning yeah. would you say you guys are uh, in at Imperity? You know, to me, I think we're in the second inning. Like, you know, first inning was, you know, we were on the field and, you know, we're out there and we know we're playing ball. Uh, but we're, we're super early days. You know, we, we just, you know, we made our first acquisition late last year. Uh, we've got, you know, expanded capability now. Uh, we've got a uh, lot of ambition around how we serve our customers. And so uh, we got, we got a long road ahead, it's a big game ahead for sure. Good for you. Uh, well, now I'm going to mix the metaphors here. Um, you know, marketing playbook kind of uh, talks about uh, football coming off my mm -hmm. baseball question. At the end yeah. of these uh, shows, we do a, a two minute drill. I ask uh, each uh, guest uh, the same seven questions. So can I ask okay. you uh, those questions? You ready? Please. I'm ready. All right. Uh, a brand that you admire or that inspires you? Starbucks. Okay. Favorite app on your phone? Uh, email. Oh, I figured you'd just tell me Starbucks since you, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the last website other than Amazon that you shopped from busted teas, busted teas. I think it's, okay. it's called busted teas. Let me see. I'm what wearing one of their t-shirts. It's a, just oh, it's a t-shirt site. T-shirt. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Actually, wait a, wait a minute. It might not be called busted teas. It might be called something else. All right. We don't want you to strip for the show. <laughs> <laughs> something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were. Uh, playing piano. Okay. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center. Okay. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Not sleeping. Not sleeping. So you want to have 24 hours in the day to do everything you want to do. That's right. That's right. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? Time. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that one before too. Sure. Um, where, where can people uh, find you on, on social media? If they want to talk to you or they want to talk to folks at your company about how Imperity can help them in their business. LinkedIn is great. Love using LinkedIn. Okay, great. Well, look, this um, was really interesting. I, I think the, the entire landscape of, of CDPs, you know, continues to, uh, to be a really important place for, businesses, retailers uh, to be involved with. And, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, you guys are growing so fast is, has to do with uh, your leadership and, and the need in the, in the space. So thanks for doing this for me and uh, look forward to catching up with you down the road soon. I really enjoyed the conversation, Mark. Thank you. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Kabir Shahani for coming in the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, the American dream is alive and well. The story about Kabir's parents coming to the U.S. and each working two jobs so that they could provide him the quality of life that would allow him to go through college and found two companies is inspiring. Hard work, dedication, and a vision are all required to achieve your success. Number two, businesses cannot operate successfully with silos. As we heard, many businesses still have IT and marketing working in sort of parallel play mode, moving perhaps towards similar goals, but not always aligned. Break down those barriers, identify the problems, and establish goals to solving those problems. And number three, customer data is complicated. Brands oftentimes have numerous sources of customer data that cannot be linked to give that 360 view of the customer. Customer data platforms can help you execute on this, but that's only a piece of the puzzle. 
Be certain that you know how to interpret the data and then how best to use it to drive revenue in your business. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at DetailsInteractive.com. Until next time, the devil is in the details.